everybody, this is Haley. So a couple weeks ago, the Public Theater announced that part of their season for this summer was actually going to be an adaptation of Hercules the Musical, which we are discussing in this episode. You may notice that we did not make reference to this fact because that hadn't been announced yet at the time we made this recording. But we decided to keep it as is because obviously we don't know what the musical is going to include and we think most of the points that we make still make sense. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoy. Welcome to Dot 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 The Musical, where each week we take a favorite book, movie, or other story to turn into a stage musical. I'm Jen. And I'm Haley. And this week we'll wrestle with the underappreciated Disney animated classic, Hercules. So, Hercules was released in 1997, was well-received on the whole, but disappointed at the box office, which kind of shocks me, just because I feel like it's such a, uh, I don't know, um, touchstone in my childhood and, like, everyone else in our generation. Yeah, but what's funny is I actually don't have distinct memories of watching it as a child. I remember watching it in high school and, like... Huh. I mean, and this is this is something I actually want to talk about when we get into the thing, but I really feel yeah. like it's one of those ones that the love has been fueled by nostalgia and it's like it's like a fine wine. Like it had to age <laughs> into something people could appreciate in a funny way. Ah, that makes sense. All right, so it was directed by Ron Clements and John Musker, music by Alan Menken. Features James Woods as Hades, Danny DeVito as Phil, Charlton Heston as the opening narrator, which I didn't know, yeah. Susan Egan as Meg, Tate Donovan as Hercules, Bobcat Goldthwait as and Matt Fuhrer as Pain and Panic, and then, of course, Lilius White, Cheryl Freeman, Lachans, uh, Roz Ryan, and Vanessa Y. Thomas as the Muses. They really went all in on the, like, oh wait, having a celebrity do a voice went really well. Let's have every celebrity do <laughs> every, every do voice. voice. Yeah. Um, so the directors Ron Clements and John Musker really wanted to produce the film that would become Treasure Planet, a film that I cannot remember at all. Oh, it's it's great. Speaking of <laughs> underappreciated Disney films. But again, it came out really in like the dying days of the kind of oh, okay. Disney Renaissance. And yeah. um it's actually awesome, but separate issue. All right, well, it did really badly. Clearly, clearly next time we're together we need to watch that that film. Yes. Um but the studio chairman, Jeffrey Katzenberg, hated that idea, so made them promise to make one more film deemed more commercially viable first. Uh, before choosing Hercules, uh, they also pitched adaptations of Don Quixote and The Odyssey. I want to live in the alternate <laughs> universe where one of those happened. The problem is, like, okay, no, we're going to get into why all Greek mythology is, like, kind of problematic for Disney movies. Yes, but, but... Disney's Don Quixote would be iconic that's true and then a weird little story came out in the summer of 2017 where alan Menken claimed that a stage version was in progress but disney denied that this was the case but maybe macon's just working on it for himself to pitch later or something i wouldn't be surprised if this becomes a musical in the next a stage musical it already is a musical yeah i mean i was pretty shocked like i mean this was like at the beginning of uh, Disney putting musicals on stage I feel like I was surprised how long it took them to do Newsies and then I was surprised that Hercules wasn't one of the first ones that they did but now like staring like looking at this I'm 
I kind of understand why this is really difficult. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's funny because in that little, in the little piece I read about this Alan Menken saying, oh, I'm working on Hercules, he compared it to Mm -hmm. Newsies. He was like, I think Newsies really took people by surprise. And I think Hercules on stage will really take people by surprise too. And I think they operate, operate, occupy a similar kind Mm -hmm. of status as like fan cult classics that Disney itself maybe doesn't realize that that like fandom exists. I was just so surprised when Disney didn't realize how wide of a fan base like Newsies had. Yeah. Uh, Like, I, because it just occupied that like very particular like uh, space amongst like my peers and also just like musical theater fan, fan girls and boys. Yeah. Like, I think you could say the same for Hercules, except for not even with the specifically musical theater fan kind of bent. It's just sort of like, it, like I said, it was one of the ones we sort of revisited in high school when it, we went through that period of like, let's rewatch all these Disney movies that we loved when we were kids yeah. for some reason that I feel like everyone I know also did. Yep. <laughs> but maybe it's because we like musical theater that we did that. Yeah, it always felt like one of the, the like hyped Disney movies. I think also because the music is so good. It's like so it has m- good. It- should we yeah, begin so there, good. actually? Yeah, sorry, let's we start... should begin, yes. No, you... let's dive in right there, though, with the music, yeah. which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's, like, a really – it's a strength that this – that Hercules in particular has, that a lot of sort of films you try to turn into – like, Disney musicals that you try to turn into a stage musical have is it already has a chorus, and it has group yeah. numbers built in. Um, mm-hmm. And we talked about this we, – we've talked about this before, but, like, where do you find – space for a chorus when like most yeah. narratives that don't that aren't musicals like don't think about having a giant ensemble cast it's got the muses they serve that function so that's a useful yeah. thing to sort of begin with and also I think gives you a hint about the kind of style right off you know mm-hmm. that we're kind of riffing on these Greek theater tropes of like oh we're gonna have the chorus that comes in and comments on things but also with like a gospel Bend? Yes. Or like, <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, it's just great. <laughs> it is great. Also, is great. for the stage version, we can bump up to the more accurate nine muses, which I think would be nice. I feel like I'd want to use them so much more. That was a question actually that I had: is like, do you bring them in and have them kind of help tell the story more directly? Like, does one of the muses come in and like, still visibly being a muse, play like the angry Theban who like yells at Hercules when he like first shows up in Thebes, like? I feel like you gotta. I don't know. For me, I I noticed a lot more keenly um, watching like how often the muses just like weren't there, and they just like pop in. Yeah, they and really disappear. Like after, large stretches, sort of yeah. after zero to hero, they're basically gone. Right. Oh, well, and then they come back for I won't say I'm in love. Yeah, but that's like right. they're they're kind of back in a very different way in that song. Yeah. Well, no, and that's exactly. I'm kind of like I would like to bring them in more in those sort of ways i don't know like definitely make like three of them be the fates instead of Mm. having other people as the fates. oh that's great um yeah (laughs) yeah i mean it's sort of like let them be all of the kind of narratively convenient comment almost on the idea that like here's the fates come to tell us the prophecy that's guiding the rest of the plot like yeah (laughs) yeah no that's a great idea also, like they're that cat, like that the voice cast for the muses are just like. I mean, Lashans could still just be one of them now. Yeah, I feel like still Lilius White could probably still be one of them too. Like, can we just like bring them on and literally just, just like... them? Yeah, <laughs> all of them and four more. Yep. 
you just get them all and you put them on stage and just have these like killer women who can just like shred. Yeah. Yes, please. <laughs> Absolutely. And it's sort of, I think it's interesting because it has the kind of opposite problem of almost any other Disney movie you could pick where, wait, cause well, it has the same problem in that we need to make it longer. It's like, yes, you know, eight, what, 80 something minutes long. And you yeah, it's want short. your stage musical to be more along the lines of two hours. So yeah. unlike lots of Disney movies, we don't need to really, I feel like you don't add that time in ensemble numbers. You add it in solos. There's like really yes. few solo character songs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like there. it's like, I can go the distance is mm-hmm. Hercules's one. Yeah. Song. And then he doesn't get another one when he's an adult. No, he really doesn't. And then, and Meg has, I won't say I'm in love, but that's like with the muses. Yeah. I mean, I, I count it as a character song. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's fair. I have so many feelings. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even know where to start. Do we want to, should I start with like what I realized with help is the central structural problem with Hercules? Please. Oh, tell me. Well, so nostalgia chick on youtube has yeah. a video uh-huh. about hercules and the making of hercules highly recommended mm-hmm. in which she lays out a problem with hercules that once i heard it said was so obvious i felt like a failure at my job for not having noticed it sooner which is that the protagonist hercules and the antagonist mm-hmm. hades goals have nothing to do with each other the yeah. thing that hades wants is not opposed to the thing that hercules wants and there is almost no reason that they both can't get what they want. Like, Hercules not fighting does not necessarily mean he's not a hero. Like, he could not fight that one day and still be a hero. And Hades doesn't have to stop him from becoming a hero in order to get the thing he wants. Like, their goals are right next to each other, but they actually (laughs) aren't in opposition. Yeah, I mean, I think that they try to place them in opposition by having the fates have basically, like, a prophecy that's, like, you can't get what you want unless Hercules is out of the way. Well, right, but it's, like, he could get – like, Hercules could still become a hero. That's true. Hades isn't trying to stop him from becoming a hero. That could still happen in addition to somehow getting him out of the way on that one day. Like, uh, (laughs) you could just send him to, like, on vacation for that one day. (laughs) You've won an all-expense-paid vacation to Athens. Yeah, and I do think then it raises the question of, like, I, I love a structure where your protagonist and your antagonist don't meet until the end. But I wonder if that's actually a structure that serves this story best. That definitely makes more sense of why I was, like, looking at this and being like, man, this plot is actually pretty thin like and like where where do you fill it out and like I was trying to think about filling it out with the actual myths this is like (laughs) because it's it's so much more of an American 90s story told with the window dressing of like a Greek myth yeah I mean I think you know that is what makes it great but I also wonder if what the thing that I was saying before is that the, the 90s nostalgia is what makes that seem great. And that when it was actually the 90s, it just, I was like looking at some reviews and they were like, oh, it's just like these tacky, weird references. Sort of the same critiques that like the first Shrek film got when it came out of like, oh my God, just dropping in a bunch of references isn't humor. Like this is so tacky. But then when you look back on that from after, you're like, oh my gosh, this is hilarious. Like it's got, now it feels kitschy and like fun. 
Yeah, I was like, I looking at the animation again. I was just like, oh my god, this is so '90s in style. This is so night. This is like so of its time in so many ways. And like part of it was they wanted to make Hercules like a Michael Jordan esque figure, which I mean is very directly referenced with the like Air Hercules like yeah. sandals. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but I mean, it's it's one of those things when I was looking to like fill out this plot, I was looking more to fill it out with like you know more mythological story in some way and that was just not the way to go like you decided you didn't want a subplot where hercules murders meg because hera drove him insane yeah right exactly (laughs) yeah i think that's a solid call i think i also get very interested in the greek gods being like so petty the idea of like gods being petty um when you grow up in like christian yeah community right like the christian god is so sometimes scary but like mostly is like benevolent right what i love about the greek gods is that they're petty and like that worldview makes so much more sense I know. when random holding, bad things happen. They're holding like, Hercules to such a higher standard than the gods themselves. It's like, you have to be I a know. hero. We're up here, bambas. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> and, like, I think that then I, I struggled to be like, okay, well, does Hercules, like, have to come to terms with maybe his dad's not the best person? And mm. it's like, well, that's not how this structure is set up. No. Like, okay, what is the thing that like keeps him on earth like right. what is the thing that keeps him with the mortals is it just meg does he like find a place but then i kept getting stuck in the weeds of being like you know all of the bad things that are happening on earth that hercules would be protecting the humans from are basically because the gods kind of suck <laughs> but like that's not really addressed but maybe it doesn't matter this reminds this is, me of how like <laughs> this year you know how at the end of thor ragnarok Ragnarok happens and I literally saw two other versions of like the Ragnarok story where Ragnarok happened and the moral was literally like at this point maybe the apocalypse is just for the best (laughs) and I don't think that's an aesthetic you can bring into this story I don't think that's what Disney's Hercules is trying to say (laughs) even though that's my personal like hashtag mood I know that's I think that's why I was like I was so struggling and I was like okay let me look at a structure for this like how would I adapt this like how would I bring this forward and like everything that interests me I realized was just like not actually this story yeah Um, that's really interesting yeah the way that I I, yeah I mean I started approaching it from this question of the Hades and Hercules Mm -hmm. antagonistic relationship because obviously amazing the actual best character in this is Hades yeah um Hercules is adorable, but, like, he, I think the reason the film is iconic is because Hades is, like, truly one of the great villains of yeah. the Disney canon. He's so funny. I mean, and that's <laughs> I have a lot of other questions about what you do with something where the performance itself is so iconic. Um, yeah. But, again, it, I mean, they did it. They managed it with the genie and Aladdin. So, and so for me, I felt like going back to this 90s idea mm-hmm. and this Michael Jordan idea, I think it's clearly – it's not actually a story about heroism. It's a story about fame and Hercules negotiating. I think the thing, I think basically I was like, okay, I'm going to fix this problem. How do I make them have actually opposite goals? And I feel like it has to be Hades is trying to, here here was my idea is that Hades is trying to stop Hercules from becoming a hero by convincing him to become famous instead and tricking him into thinking, 
oh, the thing you want, that's fame. Go become famous. And Hercules has to realize, oh, wait, being famous and being a hero are not, they look the same perhaps, but in fact, there's like a core difference. And so I sort of was envisioning like, oh, Hades comes in as a sort of like talent agent type. And they have like a direct relationship where he's directly misleading him and convincing him to kind of go glory hunting rather than being a good person who like helps people. And so the choice he then has to make is like, oh, wait, I don't need. So then like when the day of the prophecy comes, he's not a hero because he's just famous. And then, you know, the choice he makes is presumably like, oh, I'm going to stay on earth now that I'm a hero because that's what heroes do. They don't just chill out on Mount Olympus being shiny. They stick around and help people. I dig that. Yeah, that that solves that really nicely. And then you can sort of have Hades there being active and sort of actively manipulating him for longer rather than kind of lurking in the shadows and like having these weird little (laughs) cutaway scenes where he just like is angry. I think yeah, a- right. And that also solves a lot of I mean, I think that uh that kind of brings me to the problem of animated creatures and translating them to the stage. Yeah. <laughs> Pain and Panic and Pegasus. Yeah. Um, I mean, and that was somewhere that I was looking for a subplot actually to return yeah. to Aladdin in the mm-hmm. Disney stage Aladdin instead of the monkey Abu, he has human friends. And I was like, okay, right. so what if instead of Pegasus he has a human friend <laughs> and like you know someone who can be a right. sub- and then you know someone who could be a subplot character and maybe have a song like you know yeah i i i solved that problem by i i feel like i i took away pain and panic i i played a little while with the idea that pain and panic were just like shadow puppets Ooh. Um, I'm kind of in, like, for some reason, I want shadow puppets in well, I think my stage version. That's something that the aesthetic, especially the opening scene, the, like, kind of evocation mm-hmm. of Greek pottery styles asks for. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I, I was like, all right, how do I solve, for instance, the giant battle on stage? And part of me wants it to be shadow puppets. It would be so hard I don't not know. to make that feel, like, really anticlimactic. <laughs> I know. I was just like, how do you make a battle? Or like, or you do shadow puppets up until the like the the battle, and then you come out with like real crazy puppets who like are three D and then like breathe smoke or something. Yeah, um, I mean, and that was the problem I know? had because obviously my, my my mind went right to puppets too. But then I was like, how do you make yeah. it so it's not just the Lion King or Warhorse? Absolutely. Well, that was what I, was, I first was like, is Pegasus a Warhorse puppet with wings? I mean, like, right. <laughs> It would be awesome. Is it? <laughs> um, Not no. But, <laughs> but I actually solved the problem by I wanted Meg to be more of Hades' henchman, and I yeah. wanted to strengthen the Phil-Hercules relationship. Yeah, and, like, I think that making Phil and Meg both bigger roles yeah. solves a lot of structural problems, and also I think just makes yeah. for better storytelling, especially making Definitely. poor Meg. I mean, she's also iconic but like she doesn't do anything i know i she doesn't and like i was they i was fascinated because they solved the problem of like why do they like each other aside from the fact that they think are each other hot. are pretty yeah, yeah like that's exactly like <laughs> is that all of their romance presumably happens off screen on like a day where they had a great date right which to be fair like, like that's a love duet like that's you know in the musical yes. version you have a song definitely the one thing that I did kind of want to take from mythology 
was was making her a princess of Thebes like Mm. but like having her I don't know I kind of wanted her to have like a deeper backstory of like why she's in Hades yeah, um, definitely. Care. And I also wanted her, like, either to have, like, a strong sense of civic duty or, like, fam- familial duty or something where she's like, oh, man, I had that strong sense of, like, civic duty or some sort of whatever, uh, like, feelings. But then I was, I either was tricked or, like, I put my trust in the wrong person and now, like, I'm indebted to Hades. Um, I mean, that uh, would explain you know, why Thebes specifically is identified as being, like, a shirt hole if you will uh, <laughs> is that like oh they're you know yeah it's like if the princess the person who's supposed to be ruling has been yeah is in hades it's like that's why yeah. this city is out of control she's essentially sold her soul to the devil which is again not a super greek trope but we can bypass that but she's yeah. essentially like sold, sold her soul to the devil i want them to bond over that sort of central thing and I want her to have a more satisfying backstory that maybe has to do with helping her her people or something to that effect you know or like coming back to that and being like mortals kind of are terrible gods are terrible everyone's terrible (laughs) like I kind of hashtag mood yeah I feel like the thing that does kind of attract her to Hercules in the movie is that um his like naivete yeah she Um, likes his idealism she thinks it's She's attracted to the quality that she doesn't have. Right, exactly. And I think that that's something of, like, them kind of coming together in in that way um, might be more satisfying and also gives more of a backstory to, like, Thebes. Yeah. Well, and it's like then you get this sort of nice pairing. I mean, I think which is kind of there is that she likes his idealism, which he doesn't have. And I think that he admires a kind of strength that he doesn't have. Like, she is strong in a way that he, who is, like, impossibly physically strong, is not. And I like that as something that could be drawn out more explicitly. The thing that occurred to me watching it this time about Meg mm-hmm. and kind of increasing her agency, and I understand that they they set up something really distinctly, and I get why they don't do it, because it's super grim. But I feel like when the bargain becomes, you will take away your powers, but you have to promise Meg gets hurt, that... Meg is the person who notices that loophole and decides I can kill myself. I can sacrifice and myself. Break yeah. the bargain. Yeah. And I think I get why that maybe is too heavy for a Disney movie, but it just feels like something right. that they've really obviously set up and a moment for her to make a choice. I mean, because her whole yeah. thing is that she's a self interested person. Yeah. All along. Definitely. You know, like she makes the choice. Right. You know, she like feels bad about tricking Hercules, but she does it anyway because yeah. she's out for number one. So to make the choice to save him, the city, and sacrifice yourself yes. just feels like something that is so obvious, even though it's like pretty dark. Yeah, I think that you have to set it up. In in the movie, it's essentially she pushes Hercules out of the way and a column falls on her. Yeah, her, it's totally right? an accident. And then it's, yeah, sort of it's like, totally an as accident. an afterthought, she's like, oh, wait, he promised I wouldn't get hurt. Yeah, right. And I wonder, so I feel like it would have to be something in between an accident and like actively killing herself. Like, I feel like it would have to be something that's like a choice, but still a game time decision that's not her just like throwing herself off a cliff no but i do i'm right. sort of picturing it i mean it's, i think we're both picturing a cliff because that like she's like they're like on this weird ledge thing when it happens yeah but it is like i see her sort of having the realization in the moment and like saying like he promised i wouldn't get hurt and like you know running and jumping or like holding herself out and the monster comes and grabs her like 
Yes, totally. It doesn't have to be graphic, but I think it is what they set up as a moment that could be her making a choice that they understandably chose not to have it be her choice. But Agreed. I think yeah. – Yeah. I mean – I agree. It's not – she does die. Like, it's not not dark. <laughs> yeah, and then he totally Orpheus and Eurydice's the, that, that business. Yeah. Like, I was like – Oh, I'm I'm older and and no more more myths now, and I'm recognizing all of them as they happen. I definitely like, was like, should his human friend be Orpheus, just as like an in joke? Wait, <laughs> no. I feel I feel like this may be such a conflation of myths. Anyway, we might as well just like version to fan fiction. Right. I mean, that is what it is. I mean, and on that note, totally I was sort is. of like, because of course we. I'm always on a crusade to add more female characters, especially to yes, something please. like a Disney property that is going to make a ton of its money in schools. That's yes. where licensing to schools and school versions is where the money is. And every school has more girls than boys who want to do theater. So I was like, where do you add more female characters? You've got the muses. That's great. You've got Meg. That's great. Is Persephone a character? Do you sort of have Ooh. a subplot of Hercules fights Hades, but like, is there yeah. a subplot of kind of in world, like, fighting him for you know like a rebellion within the underworld as well like in the at the 11th hour can you remind me and our listeners who persess yes Persephone of course is? i was a big greek mythology nerd as a child so no yeah, Perse- while it, can you do persephone and orpheus yeah so persephone cool. is hades wife um who he she's the goddess of the spring he kidnapped her from a garden and her mom freaked out and it was winter and terribleness which i think can come could in theory in this version become the sort of arc plot of like why is the world so terrible right now oh it's partly because Ooh. hades has persephone and yeah persephone's mom is freaking out because she's the goddess of the harvest um and so she controls the earth and fertility um and so then persephone in the underworld you know they get her back her you know zeus is like give her back man and hades is like oh i can't she ate food in the underworld that means she has to stay here so they come up with a deal six months of the year she's in the underworld that's when it's winter because her mom's freaking out. Six months of the year, she's on the surface. That's when it's springtime and summer because her and her mom are together and happy. So that's Persephone. Mm, um, okay. I like the idea of her being there. In the, Yeah, there are all these sort of questions in the film that never fully get developed of like, oh, Thebes is really crappy. Like the world right now is worse than it was for reasons no one's – it just is worse now. Exactly. When like, I was like poking into it, I was just like, okay, things are bad in Thebes. What What are the why? gods doing? Aren't yeah. the gods the ones who are making this – why is there no tension there? Like, Yeah, I mean that's – so then I was like, oh, you sort of built in this space for a kind of Persephone subplot where it's like, ooh, Hades. I mean maybe it like gets built into the prologue scene when Hercules is a baby. Like does he kidnap Persephone or like convince her to come with him at the same time that he kidnaps baby Hercules? I could see the potential of a subplot there and there's sort of this restoration of a lot of different things about the world. Um, yes. And also another subplot of Hades sort of ignoring and underestimating someone who then comes back to be the key to his downfall. Right. Yeah. And that also, I feel like then Meg has someone to talk to who's not Hades and right. isn't the muses. Yeah. She passed that Bechdel test. Should I just explain Orpheus really fast? Oh, yes. Explain Orpheus, please. Orpheus and Eurydice, they're in love. She dies. He's the best musician ever in the world. And he goes to the underworld, plays a song so beautiful that Persephone is like, Hades, let her go back with him. And Hades is a jerk and is like, okay, you can go back, but she has to walk behind you. And if you look back, 
then she's dead forever. And he looks back and everyone's obsessed with this story. I feel like it's the story of a man who had one job. You had one job, Orpheus, just focus for like 20 minutes. <laughs> but in terms of the comic aesthetic of like Hercules as it exists, a like really ditzy Orpheus who's like always playing his guitar and like writing theme songs for Hercules does feel very in keeping with the comedy of <laughs> that like exists already. But now I want that. I mean, I we need that. some subplots. We need more characters. We need people he can I... talk to who aren't a horse. <laughs> <laughs> he has a satyr. He has a satyr. Yes, Bill. Anyway. <laughs> um, oh, also, I, I felt like Zero to Hero. I was, I actually, last night I was staring at this and I was like, Zero to Hero has to be the act break, but there's like no tension. So I feel like there has to be some sort of tension built into the end of Zero to Hero. Oh, I feel like Zero it, like, to Hero is the, the beginning of Act Two. Ooh. It's the like catch up to where we've been when we're back. Oh, so you like end on the triumphant moment of like, oh my gosh, he killed this monster. He's gonna be a hero. Yeah, jump back in with zero to hero. You're like, is he a hero now? And then you sort of start deconstructing over the course of the second act to the idea that like, oh no, he's not there yet. Good point. Okay, intermission. Uh, naturally, I feel like the intermission cocktail has to be ambrosia. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah, I just, uh, it's gotta. You just, yeah. you gotta. Not um, Phil's moonshine that he made on a weird <laughs> island. With with goats. Um, no. <laughs> I don't know why I want cocktail. goats. Okay. <laughs> yeah, goat milk cocktail. Um, no, uh, so there's a bunch of re- different recipes for ambrosia as a cocktail. Um, a lot of them in- involve, like, marshmallows, like the ambrosia salad, Ooh. and I did not want that. And so this one, you take an ounce of Applejack, an ounce of brandy, and a dash of triple sec, and mm. uh, the juice of one lemon, you shake it up, and then you put it in a highball glass, and then fill the rest with champagne. Ooh, and decadent. That, I know. I felt like it was important to see what Hercules is reaching for, which is the ambrosia of the gods. <laughs> also, I feel like your audience would be wasted when they got back in. <laughs> <laughs> this is my problem, is I like all my cocktails strong, so. Well, I mean, given that we're charging $25 a cocktail because it's Broadway, you get, you know, you got to get what you pay for. Might as well. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, boop, 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 and then we're back to zero to hero. Applause, applause, applause. Yeah. To me, that was like, because it feels like the right sort of like post-intermission recap. Like, oh, here's what happened while you guys were out drinking. That makes a lot of logical sense. So I had a couple thoughts of like added song moments. Mm. Um. One of them was, I feel like I would want to almost increase the gospel of truth at the beginning to just, or even like add on a little bit to like have the prologue cover all the way until the baby is like turned mortal, but not killed. Oh, definitely. Like I would just want that to be an entire song and just like get it done and like no scenes, just like let's cover this prologue up to that point so that we just enter into like teenage Hercules. Absolutely. I totally agree. Like, yeah. Like condense all of that down, spell out that there is a prophecy, all, all of that. Yeah. Um, I completely agree. uh, And that's another moment where you're like, is that all shadow puppets? Like, is that stylized in some way? But yeah, I think there's room for that for sure. Especially when you make it all a single song. Yeah, definitely. And I, I don't know why I'm so obsessed with shout-out puppets for this, but I am. Well, I mean, I think that the animation style is really striking. And one of the things about this that makes, in the in the corners where it's respected, makes it respected, that it um, is just like a really fun and playful style that 
shows its kind of faux Greek influences in a really creative way. And again, one of those, especially in the first scene with abuses, is when you've got that pottery with, I don't remember yes. what that style is called, with the orange back mm-hmm. and the black figures. And that, mm-hmm. like, you could do that with shadow puppets really easily. Right. Not easily, but effectively. Yeah, well, and I think I, I'm always wondering, like, for animation, uh, you can evoke wonder by virtue of the style like Mm -hmm. you can (laughs) you because you can do so many like wonderful creative things and you're not you're bound but basically by your imagination and so I'm always thinking when you're translating something animated on stage like how do you evoke similar wonder like how do you how do you bring that sort of like joy and um um and I think taking on some forms like puppetry um, but puppetry is kind of overdone, so that made me want to be like shadow puppetry, um, just so that there's a little bit of magic. Yeah, and that it's something analog. It's not yes. projections, which I think yeah, does absolutely. the opposite of evoking wonder. It makes you feel yes. like, oh, they put a TV on screen. I mean, on stage, cool. I I will always go analog. I mean, I feel that way about movies too. Like CGI interests me a lot less than like Muppets, to be quite and honest. And I think that that's something that you build in when you have this sort of Greek chorus who's here as narrators and like if you have them playing minor roles it sort of gives you permission to say oh they're telling us the story and they're using the tools at their disposal and maybe not all of those tools are a projection you know right they yes. like it can be a little DIY I think not all the way in that direction no like not like Peter and the Starcatcher status but no like, but like with like, okay it's puppets it's not yes. you know it's like warhorse style puppets it's not hyper-realistic puppets yes absolutely or whatever um so the other place i thought would be kind of interesting to put a song so i mean hercules is a teenager right and then he goes to phil whose full Mm -hmm. name i am loath to pronounce because i've only read it really it's phil I, it's also that I read Song of Achilles this year, which is oh, like yeah. so wonderful by Madeline Miller. I'm obsessed with Cersei and Song of Achilles, but Philoctetes is so different yes. <laughs> in that book. Correct. Um, I mean, and that correct. sort of is a hint to, I think, they're more interested in kind of Easter eggs than in depicting yes. mythology. And I think that that's yeah. like a spirit, again, in terms of like guitar playing Orpheus, dude bro Orpheus, yeah. who like is like Hercules, I wrote you a theme song. Then he gets distracted halfway through and can't focus on anything. Is the spirit. God, I want dude bro Orpheus so bad now. Okay. Um, but I think that like, so he was a teenager. Then he goes to this island where he like trains with Phil but he, like, knows nothing about the outside world, really. He was, like, pretty sheltered because no one would hang out with him. Because he had his friends. And, like, he – then he was, like, on an island. And I kind of feel like maybe in between him meeting – like, being on the island training and then him, like, meeting Meg or, like, right after that, the muses kind of being, like, coming in and, like, having a song with him about being basically, like, you know nothing about the world. Or, like – You could do a really good, like, welcome to Thieves song of, like, ooh. oh, the big city. Yeah. Something like that. Because I feel like that's there in spirit, but isn't a full number. Yeah. I, I want something of, of him kind of having a realization of how, like, disconnected from, like, the real world he is. Um, yeah. And sort of, like, also, like, you don't know what love is. And you don't... You don't know what heroism is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All of this. You things. don't know what people need. Yes. You kind of have, like, this sort of vague understanding of what heroism is and, like, what is what is it actually. 
Yeah. So I want to. Well, I want. I want the muses to like mess with mess with Hercules a little bit. I like that. That I mean, that does raise an interesting question of like how in and out of the story are they? Because obviously, kind of with like especially like I won't say I'm in love. They sort of are the voice of Meg's kind of inner self or whatever. They like talk back to her. Whereas like with her for Hercules, they only ever really narrate about yeah. him. They don't talk to him. In, they don't have any numbers. And I think it would just be about setting up the rules. Like yes. what are they allowed to do when? How do they yes. interact with the characters? Absolutely. I kind of, I wanted, I wanted a number more like, um, I won't say I'm in love where the muses like interact with him or like interact yeah. in that kind of ma- manner way. Yeah, that'd be fun. Yeah. yeah. I definitely want some killer dancing in this. <laughs> I feel like one of the strengths of Newsies is that Dancing Boys cover every transition. And I will watch <laughs> Dancing Boys cover every transition for the rest of my life. Like, I was just like... I love the idea that, like, in this version, the the women's chorus is, uh-huh. like, the active. They, like, sing the amazing songs, like, narrate yeah. everything and talk to the characters. And the men chorus is like, can you just go be hot and dance? Can you just, like, fill this scene transition, boys? That's all we need you for. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, it does raise the question of, like, speaking of how you evoke a sense of wonder and, like, yeah. physical feats. Like, yes. Hercules' strength and yeah. sort of what are creative ways that you can convey that besides just, like, making things out of foam and having him lift them. That like, is true. And, like, is there anyone who can be super beefy and still a really agile dancer? Like, can you find that unicorn? I feel like you have to find it in, like, gymnastic strength. Oh, like I feel like there has to be some sort of gymnastic feats. Um, I love that. Oh, I love that a lot. And then he doesn't need to be super beefy. Yeah, I think it has to be gymnastic feats because, like, I I also think you everyone pretty much expects you to have like a like a thing that looks heavy, but he picks it up because it's foam kind of thing, and like yeah. that that does nothing to subvert the audience's expectations or like surprise and delight anyone. That's um, such a good point because it's not about seeing him lift a heavy thing it's about being surprised by what he can do so yes. if we're waiting for him to lift that rock that clearly is made of foam I'm and bored. instead he like yeah it does something does a bajillion comp- backflips yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah but i think it has to that. like i'm not exactly sure what the tricks would be but i think yeah, you have to yeah you have to support yeah that's not our jobs and that answers the question then of how a fight scene goes is like yeah. what is the thing he does that's impressive and how can you turn that into a fight choreography situation yeah I think because gymnastics has the like agile like the agile strength um Mm -hmm. and but also lends itself to dance right yeah that's great and so I love that yeah so I think that that's that's where he needs to be just no inter thinking about that further one realizes the logic and it's funny that they did this in a movie where it's unnecessary that if only teen Hercules sings you can cast an adult Hercules who is perhaps not so much reliant on being the impossible triple threat of a Broadway-level singer, a Broadway-level actor, and a gymnast, but perhaps doesn't need to sing quite so much. And Ooh. you can cast a gymnast who can act. Oh. Uh-huh. And I'm realizing that it, it were Hercules, had Hercules originally been a stage musical, I would have been like, oh, that's obviously why his big number is while he's still a teenager, because that doesn't need to be able to do those things and you can cat you can focus on the singing right absolutely but it's animated and that doesn't matter <laughs> yes but at the same time then it's like 
once you have like a love duet between Meg and Hercules becomes yeah I mean you yeah. do have to have that though <laughs> yeah so if, she could do most of the singing she could do most, he could talk sing he could Henry Higgins it like or Rex or Harrison just, it like, you know just like a lot of harmonizing yeah <laughs> yeah kind of cover yeah definitely then it brings me to which we kind of touched upon but like how do you create a satisfying fight scene on stage um particularly one where if you're fighting the if like the the crux is still that the that hades is releasing the titans and they're gonna attack mount olympus how do you make that satisfying with stage combat yeah, I mean, a thought that I had, and like maybe this is too anticlimactic, is he doesn't succeed in releasing the Titans. It's like a oh. race to, and so the person he ends up fighting is maybe Hades, who has maybe some henchmen, uh-huh. but the threat is, oh my gosh, he's going to release the Titans, but Hercules stops him before that happens. Ooh. And then we don't have to see, we can see maybe like, you know, arms and legs sticking right. out of the kind of Titan prison, but we don't actually have to see them and fight them. Right. They can just be a threat. Interesting. But that might be too anticlimactic. <laughs> it would depend on how you built up the final fight against Hades. Yeah, I think that would solve a lot of problems. And I think it's also because you want to, I, I feel like, I, I'm going back to Shadow Puppets again, but I feel like keeping the otherworldliness of the gods, um, yeah. like behind a screen. Um, like and We just see the shadows of the Titans. Yeah, like doing that. But then that, that's like a difficult, you know, because you want Hercules to like fight i don't know yeah but like now that i'm thinking about it Mm -hmm. this is a musical yeah we're on stage yeah our priorities of what we want to see are different i think that's true you know we've talked about how like in a musical it becomes a more emotional version of the story because Mm -hmm. you have songs where people have to express their emotions out loud Mm -hmm. and so really the emotional core like kind of final conflict is can he go get meg back Oh, that is and true. Him kind of defeating the Titans is a given after that. Right. Yes. Right. Because he has his powers back. Right. And of course he's going to win. Right. So having it be a little bit of an anticlimax and that he doesn't actually have to fight them and we don't kind of, we're not like, oh, I want to see the fight because it's like it's yeah. on stage. We know it's not going to look yeah the way it did right we like can we shift the climax so that what we're longing for is something that we can express through song or through a scene rather than through yeah what will almost inevitably be a kind of disappointing looking fight against a big foam puppet yeah (laughs) yes i i agree with that i think that that's a good idea and like bringing that back into the retrieving meg from the underworld retrieving meg's soul from the underworld which it could be a great dance number yeah like a weird eerie dance yeah. and also the idea that like heroism isn't i'm gonna really impressively fight these monsters yeah. it's, i'm gonna stop these monsters from destroying the entire city <laughs> as i fight them <laughs> kind of subverting hercules own expectation yeah. that oh the the triumphant moment of your story isn't punching these guys it's committing this like selfless act yeah, of love and definitely. care for another person yeah absolutely that's i and i enjoy that as i also like that better than what the movie says like i yeah well it's a, it's a better sort of form is content yes absolutely climax. i also thought that orpheus could be like playing the ukulele well, well. <laughs> <laughs> sorry i can't i can't get it out of my brain these henchmen are like smashing things and he's just like dink, 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 dink. 
Now it's just like in my brain. He's like mournfully playing the ukulele while Hercules goes to get Meg's soul. Oh my god, I love it so much. <laughs> I just—he has a guitar and a ukulele. I want to make this clear, but he just mournfully playing it, and he has yeah. a beanie. Okay, sorry. Um, yeah. um, no, I mean I love that so much. <laughs> I'm into it. Okay, um, and I think I mean this is a question I have is like. It's so nineties. It's so. Do you keep 90s. it nineties, or do you try and find a different register of humor that kind of replicates the irreverence and anachronism, but without it being like specifically nineties references? I think that you have. I I think you have to take it. I I think you have to take it out of the nineties, personally. Just like I yeah. just just so that it has a little bit longer shelf life. Like I think you exactly. match that irreverence. Um, but I think that fame... But also without making it 2019 references, exactly. which will also put a new expiration date on it. Yes, absolutely. But I think it, it, it is matching that irreverence with things that are timeless, such as, honestly, like, fame in our society is, like, pretty exactly. timeless. Like, how people achieve yeah. fame is different, but... Um, right. I mean, and I think, like, obviously you're going to have some, like, selfie jokes in Zero to Hero. Oh, like, hell yeah. <laughs> but... Definitely. <laughs> it's not, it's not, like, a Kardashian's joke. No. Another thing, too, I, like, alluded to this before is I think when you lift it out of the 90s, that helps you free yourself from the super iconic performances. Yes. Like, that Phil is Danny DeVito. (laughs) So how do you, like, not just have it be someone has to get up there and, like, do – probably Josh Gad has to get up there and do a Danny DeVito impression. Right. I know. I also, with Pain and Panic, was like, oh, my God, Josh Gad would be playing both of these characters. How many Josh Gads can we get for this production? I feel I feel like also some of the most successful uh, Disney adaptations of animated movies or even like live action musicals to stage to the stage like do really it's like emotionally explode the story but also like take the plot further than yeah. it was in the film. Like and I my favorite I think my favorite adaptation of a Disney movie to the stage is actually Mary Poppins because a lot of really because a lot of what's gestured at in the film is like like fully lands in the musical um mostly the the idea that like the parents need to like reconnect with like imagination and like really connect with their children in a way that's like really gestured at in the movie but like doesn't fully land in the movie yeah but I mean I think that's kind of what we're getting at with like Something like the Persephone subplot, which yes. says, hey, for some reason in Hercules, everyone feels like the world is darker and worse yes. than it was. And we're saying, how can we make that also the villain's fault? Yes, that is exactly what I was And have that at. be a problem that gets directly solved by the yes. events of the movie rather than like, oh, we have Hercules now, everything's better. Yeah, definitely. And I think that there's also something, as much as we've highlighted that there have been many films this year and like many stories this year that's just like, maybe the apocalypse is the right idea. Like, maybe we're just in <laughs> Ragnarok like I would I, I kind of like look to this sort of story to like find hope in humanity and like having Meg but the thing is mm-hmm. oh mm-hmm. I think that there is hope in that in the sense and I think that in a sense that is in Hercules yes. of what if once everything falls apart we get to build something better yes oh okay yes mm-hmm. mm-hmm and I think that is again it's like I'm I'm definitely it, Hercules that, realizing this new time. definition of yeah this new definition of heroism is like what if I can move forward mm-hmm. you know this like culture of sort of fame and chaos and yeah. like 
everything. Like, what if when that kind of falls apart for him, he gets to move forward and yeah. work on helping to build a world that's better? I like that. Yeah. And that's and that's also just, like, a much more satisfying end note. Yeah, it's not just, like, I'm going to stay on Earth with my girlfriend. Yeah, exactly. Like, Which is, like, the end note. It's just, like, oh, I got what I wanted, but... I'm, I actually... But she's so hot. But she's so hot and sassy. Man. <laughs> Apparently she was ba- inspired by Barbara Stanwyck. <laughs> what a delight. Yeah, they wanted her to be like one of the like 30s screwball heroines, which is there, I guess. Yeah, it's there. I love, I love Susan Egan. I like her voice is just so good. Well, so speaking of actors, yes. I do have one final question you jen oh tell me all right so after hercules has been running on broadway for a few years yeah and it needs the celebrity box office boost yeah who will be the first to step into the production as hercules channing tatum the rock (laughs) or one of the chrises pine hemsworth evans or pratt oh my god could it just be like could it could it just be a a uh, uh, I'm assuming they're all doing eventually. Yeah. But like who would be first? Oh my god. I can you I mean my my impulse would be to put Chris Pratt as the first Hercules. It might be an unpopular you know what? opinion. No, I literally I was like part of my heart says the rock, but I think the dark horse is Chris Pratt. I mean the rock really enjoyed being a Moana, so I know. And he fulfills the thing we said about, you know, can't really sing, but you can cover for it. It's fine. The Rock in Hercules. Hercules. I think there's nothing more to say. I I, I agree. I think I think that's what we got. I think I that's think... it for Hercules the musical. I'm Jen. And I'm Haley. And please join us next time as we head back into the nineties for Ten Things I Hate About You, the musical. See you then. <laughs> Hey everybody, Jen here. Just a reminder, if you like our show, please rate and review us on iTunes. It helps other people uh, find our stuff. Um, We do have an Instagram now, which is themusical.podcast. And as always, if you'd like to continue the conversation, you can email us at themusical.podcast at gmail.com. Special thanks to Jen Lin for our intro and outro music. And thank you all for listening. See you next time.